Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Thanks, Fee. Good morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you here this morning. Great to be back from holidays. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm Michael, one of the pastors here at Salt. Uh, welcome if you're tuning in online as well. Great uh, that you could be with us, but fantastic that some of you are actually here in person. Uh, so it's great to see at least half of your, your faces this morning. Now, Happy New Year to you if I haven't said that to you already. And um, I don't know about you, but New Year's are great, aren't they? Because a new year is new possibilities. Uh, new, a fresh start, big, big things can be on the horizon. Um, in a couple of weeks, I want to share with you uh, our plans for SALT this year. Uh, now, two things haven't changed. Uh, one is you would have noticed COVID is still with us. Um, so, unfortunately, that's where we're at. Um, so do, you would have noticed that's affecting everyone in our community. Uh, I was at a, a cafe uh, a couple of days ago and, and just almost every shop says, uh, just be patient with us because we're short-staffed, uh, people at home isolating. Well, like some shops are closed. Um, feels a little bit that way with church. We're not closed, we're still running. Um, but you might want to think about how you can pitch in and help uh, be patient, pray uh, as we juggle this time together. Uh, it's a really tricky time. The other thing that hasn't changed, though, is our commitment to making disciples. Uh, and I want to share with you some plans we've got for 2022, uh, but I want to do that in two weeks' time. So two Sundays' time, come along to church, tune in online, and we're going to talk about this year and how you can be part of uh, making disciples with us. Why don't I pray, and then we'll get into this topic of karma. Let's do it. Our great Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you are a God who has spoken to us. Uh, you have not kept us in the dark. Uh, your word is living and active. Uh, your word is a light to our feet. It is wisdom. Uh, Father, please help us hear it this morning uh, as we navigate this topic. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, last week I was chatting with my barber uh, and I walk into the barber shop, uh, as I do, and I want to just, uh, sometimes I walk into the barber and I just want to sit in the chair, I'll have a chat to my barber, but my barber is always up for a really neaty chat, <laughs> okay? Uh, he goes deep. Uh, he knows I'm a Christian. Uh, he often asks me about church. Uh, last conversation I had with him, he asked me, when you talk about the new creation, heaven, is it like this world or is it completely transformed? They're the kind of conversations we have. Um, he's from a Buddhist background. He grew up in the subcontinent. Uh, he's very curious about Christianity. He's found a few Christians in Wollongong and he wants to know more. Uh, he grew up, uh, as I said, in the, on the subcontinent. He learnt about Christianity, he told me, one day of the year, pretty much. It was Christmas Day every year as a kid. Uh, the Jesus movie would come in, come on. It was kind of bizarre uh, on Christmas Day because that's a Western Christian thing. That's what Christmas is about, Jesus. So he learned a bit about that. He also learned about Santa Claus. Um, this time, uh, he asked me my thoughts on karma, as it would turn out, which was fantastic because I'm about to give this talk. Um, and he, this is what he said. He said, basically, 
here's where I reckon it's at. If you do good in this life, it will come back to you. Uh, it will reward you. If you do the wrong thing, the universe is going to catch up with you. And so we spoke about this idea for a while uh, until I said to him, actually, Jesus disagrees with you. Um, I always pick the moment to, to, to put these lines in. It's not when he's got the razor on my neck. Um, he'd already worked out that karma doesn't always seem to work. Um, sometimes people get what they deserve, but sometimes he said it takes a while for karma to catch up with them. Actually, sometimes it never seems to catch up with them. People seem to get away in this life scot-free. He was curious, is there a better answer? I said, come along and hear the talk uh, this Sunday. Watch online. Um, but he said, no, he, he can't wait. I've got to keep talking about this. And so I haven't got enough hair to have a long conversation, right? And so we kept talking. But let's explore it now. Let's think about karma. I'm going to do a little bit of a longer uh, introduction as we understand karma before we get to parts of the Bible. And we'll flick around at certain parts, different parts of the Bible. So have your Bibles ready. Um how do we, where does karma come from? Well, first, I reckon there's three points of contact for us when we think about karma. First and foremost, karma uh, is central to Eastern religions, Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, so it's very influential uh, in Eastern culture. And it's the idea that how you live now will determine the quality of your life in your next life. The life that you live here on earth again. So it's actually tied into the idea of reincarnation, that everyone is born and then reborn into another life in the next life. Uh, so born, die, born again, but born again in this life, in an earthly body, and you might be anyone in the next life. In fact, you could be anything, any living thing. In fact, you could come back as a cockroach. And here's how it works. If you are, un, if you are unselfish, if you're kind, if you're good, if you're holy in this life, you'll be rewarded by being reincarnated into a pleasant life the next time round. But if you live a selfish life, if you live an evil life, you're going to be reincarnated to a very poorly life, a very unpleasant life in the next time round. In other words, you reap in the next life here on earth uh, what you've sown in your current life, the life that you're living now. Now, hopefully you can see already, that has massive implications for the way we treat people who are suffering, yeah? People who are poor, uh, people who are disabled, people who are sick. If that's the way they are, it's because of their sins in a previous life. If they're being treated now, or if their life is a result of them being punished for their crimes in a previous life. That has massive implications, doesn't it? Have a look at this picture. There's a class of people in India, and India is full of a class system. Uh, it is huge. It divides the nation. Uh, there's a class of people called the Dalits, uh, the untouchables. They are the lowest of the lowest castes you could possibly imagine. I think there's six or seven castes, and they don't even re they're not even on that list. They're kind of below that list, uh, they're the forgotten people. They're the people that undergo appalling mistreatment. And according to traditional Eastern religion, their lot in life, the reason they are the way they are, 
is because of the crimes they've committed in a previous life. And so they are left largely to die in poverty. Uh, They're treated as slaves, they're abused, they're harassed, uh, even murdered with no regard for their life. Really interesting though that who ministers to them A group of people, often, who have a very radically different view of of the world and God and Christians, uh, often minister to this group of people in India. Can you see the way we think about God, the universe, us, has a massive impact on the way we treat people. The second point I reckon it comes up is it comes up in modern Australia. I don't know whether you've noticed this. uh, It's become more and more popular in Western culture, uh, even trendy, to take on an Eastern religion but take it on in a much, much softer version. Um, so I reckon here in the West, we're very focused on our life in the here and now. Uh, we're not so much thinking about eternal life or the next life. We're not thinking about reincarnation, heaven, hell so much. Thinking about payback, karma, that revisits you in this life. Um, so when something good happens, you hear people say, the universe is rewarding you, Yeah. Uh, if you do good, good things will be returned to you. Um, you hear phrases like, what comes around goes around. How you treat people is the way people will treat you. And so people live by these things. Uh, when something bad happens, uh, when something happens that we don't like, when someone does something we don't like, they will get what is coming for them. Karma will bite them in the butt. Have you seen those instant karma videos on YouTube? Have you seen those? Uh, They're they're for entertainment. It's the idea that, um, look, someone's done something horrible and in less than a minute, it's returned to them. Uh, So you see that uh, video like a motorbike rider who comes up uh, behind a car, goes on the inside, grabs the lady's handbag out of the passenger seat, steals it, tears off, and then crashes. There's instant karma right there. Uh, he's got what he deserved. But it's also uh, in this song. This, uh, have a look at this song. It's uh, Scottish band Travis. Uh, it's got a famous line that says, Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? Uh, it's all about karma. Uh, here's, this, here's this guy, Fran Healy, uh, leader of the, this Scottish band, and he's trying to work out how come bad things always happen to me. Uh, and here's, here's the thing, you know, you're living in Glasgow, Scotland. It always rains, it snows, it's terrible weather. And someone says to him, well, why don't you go off and have a holiday? Go and get some rest. Go and enjoy the sun. That's what you need. And there's a place in southern Israel where even in winter, uh, it doesn't rain. And so he heads off there. And on the way to the hotel it begins to rain. And it rains the next day and the next day. And actually rains for the whole week that he's there. And he thinks to himself, am I being punished? What have I done? Was it when I lied about my age when I was 17 to get a job behind the bar at one of the biggest bars in Glasgow, Scotland? Is that why things don't go well for me? I'm paying for it. Thirdly, I reckon we, we, um, you hear it amongst Christians. It's not a Christian idea at all, but there's a Christian version of it that actually distorts the Christian message. I don't know whether you've heard this. 
Christian, something bad happens to you, God must be punishing me. I must have got God on, God is unhappy with me. I've done something wrong, I'm on the wrong side of God. I'm going to cop it from God. We'll come back to that a bit later. What does karma say about us? It says that we, we're searching for answers, yeah? Um, you might not agree with karma, but you can be sympathetic to people know there's something going on. There's a connectedness with the universe. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful motivator, isn't it, for people to live their lives. It's actually quite convenient too, isn't it? Because it's not a personal God that I've got to interact with. It's the universe. The universe will reward you or punish you. Um, it also is attractive because we're in control. I can actually set the bar of what is good and bad. Um, but it's also great because we long for justice. We long to know this wrong will be righted. I reckon you see that in our world all the time. Do you notice um, with Novak Djokovic, uh, it's on the news at the moment, um, we're all sick of the controversy, we want to see the Australian Open, not the controversy. Um, but the question is, is he being unfairly treated? Uh, is he, should he be let into the country? Should he be able to play in the Australian Open? I'll leave that to you, I won't comment. Um, but it's a question of justice and fairness. Is he uh, getting karma? Will he get karma? All those kind of questions. We long for answers. We also long for the answer of why. Why is this bad thing happening to me? Why did the tsunami hit those people and not those people? Why do bad things happen to good people? They're the questions we want answered. Uh, is the universe just random or is there meaning and purpose and is there a connection between those things? The sharp end, do you believe that we get what we deserve. And what would you say to someone who's suffering? What would you say to someone who's got cancer? How do you deal with the rat bag who gets away with a life of crime? Well, let's have a look at what the Bible says. That was a long introduction, but I think that sets the scene. Look at John chapter 9 with me. Turn to John chapter 9, because here's where Jesus says no. Here's where Jesus says no to karma. John chapter 9, uh, Jesus meets a blind man. Verse 1 of chapter 9, John's gospel, John's biography of Jesus' life. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Now, it's really interesting um, that John makes the point he's born blind from birth, right? So it seems he's not caused his blindness. It's not because he's had poor diet. It's not because he's been foolishly looking into the sun. Has the universe done this to him? Why has he been born blind? Is this a result of his sin? Uh, the disciples want to know. Did he do something against God or did his parents do something against God more logically that they had a son born blind? And look at what Jesus said. It's radical. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. 
See, why is this blind man born blind? I reckon there's two reasons. One is implied. It's not explicit here in Jesus' words. And the other one is explicit in Jesus' words. The first one is the answer the Bible gives right back from Genesis chapter 3. We live in a good world, a world that's created by God, but we live in a broken, fallen world where blindness happens, where deafness happens, where cancer happens. Uh, God has cursed the world in his judgment and it's good, but it's marred by sin and sickness and death. And and that falls across the, the creation. Um, and there's not necessarily a cause and effect relationship between those two things, yeah? It's not that you sinned and therefore you're blind. Um, sometimes there's a connection. Sometimes you do something really dumb and you're suffering for it. So the alcoholic, addicted to alcohol, uh, their health over time unravels, kidney disease, early death. But you can't always connect someone's sin, someone's suffering with their sin. It's not always a one-for-one, is it? Someone, the, the alcoholic at the same time gets drunk, gets in the car, has an accident, survives the accident, goes on to live life, but kills someone else. The second reason Jesus gives here, or the explicit reason he gives, is so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. What happens in this passage, Jesus is going to show the greatness, the glory of God in this man's life. Now, he does it immediately here, doesn't he? By healing him, look what God can do. God can restore, God can heal, but I reckon there's a bigger work of God to come even in John's Gospel. Not just for the blind man, but for everyone in the broken world. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Turn with me to a a similar passage, Luke chapter 13. Uh, So backwards in the Bible, Luke chapter 13. And again, Jesus is asked about two incidents, uh, tragic incidences of suffering. Turn with me to verse 4 and you'll see The reference there is to a tower that fell and killed 18 people. And listen, and the question is, what happened? Why why did those 18 people die? Did they do something wrong? Are they more sinful? Look what Jesus says. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent you too will perish. That's a radical answer from Jesus, isn't it? We've seen it in John 9, we've seen it here in Luke 13. It is not a result of their sin. It is not because they are more guilty. That is incredibly radical. Uh, It is incredibly different from superstition. It's incredibly different from the the religions, uh, the thought of the first century. It's, It's incredibly different from Buddhism, from Hinduism. I reckon it's worth us pausing just for a moment to reflect how different and radical Jesus' words are here. That they did not perish because they were more guilty than anyone else. Um, I reckon we've, it's very easy, it's very common, isn't it, to fall into that trap of saying, actually, aren't all the religions of the world basically teaching the same thing? Well, they're certainly not. Some of you would remember the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami. 
some of you may not have been born <laughs> or might be might have been kids tragic event massively destructive event uh, in asia just outside of indonesia massive earthquake under the ocean kills uh, over 220,000 people in 14 countries uh, one of the most deadly natural disasters in modern history and the question, of course, is why did hundreds of thousands of people die in that event? And that part of the world is dominated by Hinduism and, and Buddhism. And the Hindu answer is a very clear answer. It's not often spoken, but it's a very clear answer. Because of their karma, justice was catching up with them. Have a listen to this Hindu-Buddhist leader... Uh, as he contributes to an article at the time in the Sydney Morning Herald over whether God is responsible for this tsunami. Here he he comments on the survivors of the tsunami and he says, you guys seeing the screen? You're not seeing it? No. Let me read it for you. Um, The message for survivors, this is what he says, the message for survivors is it is due to their own past positive deeds that allows them to live not because of some external agent. It's not because of the kindness of God that you've survived. It's because of your past positive deeds, you have survived this tsunami. Now, that sounds fine. It's not a Christian view. But what does that say about the people who didn't survive? The people that survived, it's because of their positive karma. But what's the clear implication for those who were killed, their negative karma caught up with them. There's something in their past that means they are now being punished in the tsunami. What Jesus says here in the Gospels is radical. But Jesus has a very different worldview. Jesus also has a radical worldview. So Jesus actually believes there is a judgment to come. Notice in that passage in Luke 13, he says, what's the right response to this? It's repent. It's turn to God. That's what repent means, turn to God, because Jesus taught there is a judgment to come, that every wrong will be righted on that last day, and you need to be ready for that, that there is one life, not multiple lives. The idea in Hebrews 9.27, man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. It's very, very different, isn't it? And when that judgment comes, it will be an incredibly good thing because God will right every wrong. Evil will be dealt with. But there's another thing that's behind Jesus' words, repent there, is that you actually need to repent. You're actually going the wrong way. You're, you're a sinner, the Bible says. You're out of fellowship with God and you need to turn back to God. You need to say sorry. You need to be forgiven. You're not as good as you are, you think you are. Uh, It's the idea in Romans chapter 3, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's not a matter of good. Well, If you're good enough, you'll bring good towards yourself. If you're bad, you'll bring bad. It's actually no, you're out of relationship with your creator. You need to turn back to him. In other words, 
your situation is much worse than it looks, than you think it is, but God has a solution that's much better. Let me show you that solution in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Flick over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because here is where God is very clear on the judgment, but he's also very clear that he doesn't give us what we deserve. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, look at verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That judgment day is coming. So that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. But have a look in verse 19. Here is the great work of God that he achieved in Christ. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. See, we deserve judgment, we deserve God to count that against us, but he doesn't give it to us. Jesus pays for it. Look down in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's not karma, it's God giving us exactly what We don't deserve forgiveness and reconciliation. It's God relenting, pulling back from the judgment because Jesus has stood in our place. Jesus, the innocent one, has become the guilty one so that we, the guilty ones, might become the innocent one. A great swap has taken place. Uh, It's so far from karma, isn't it? It's what the Bible calls mercy. Have a look down in uh, chapter 6, just, just on verse 1 and 2. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the God, time of God's kindness. Now is the day of God's salvation where he will rescue us. This idea of God's favour, of God's grace, of God's mercy is massive in the Bible. Uh, it's all over the Bible. Let me show you one place uh, our last, second last passage, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, flick over to Ephesians chapter 2 and you'll see it there. Look out for these words, grace and mercy. A uh, good way to think about grace and mercy. Grace, God giving us uh, what we don't deserve, a massive gift that we don't deserve, but he gives it to us. Mercy, God not giving us what we do deserve. We deserve punishment. We do deserve judgment. He doesn't give it to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. See, you had no hope of bringing good things to yourself. No hope of getting towards God. You were dead without life. Not just sick towards God. Not just trying to get there, maybe get there, try a little bit harder. It says you were dead. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. We were all in this situation. We were like the rest, objects by nature, objects of wrath, of God's anger. But look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, there's a great turning point. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. See, God doesn't give us what we deserve. There we are, dead in sin, 
He makes us alive in Christ. He raises us up in Christ, seats us in the heavenly realms. Uh, This is expressed to us in Christ Jesus, his kindness, verse 7. And look at verse 8, for it is by grace you've been saved. It is the, the unmerited gift of God, not because you deserve it, but because he wants to give it to you. It comes through faith, through trusting him and his son. And look at this, verse 8, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, a gift you don't earn, you are receiving it. And look at verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Do you think he could have made it any clearer? God is merciful. God is kind. You're not getting what you deserve. Even the good thing that you get from God, forgiveness, hope, uh, peace, eternal life, is because of the kindness of God. Now, how, how refreshing is that? How liberating is that? How life-changing is that? How, how radically different is that from earning your way to salvation? Uh, heard someone say that actually karma is caught up in every other religion in the world except Christianity. Because in Christianity, you don't get what you deserve. It's no wonder Christians treat people or should treat people with love and mercy. Because we've been treated with enormous love and mercy. That's the God that we worship. Well, let me uh, just address a couple of quick pushbacks uh, why then do Christians still suffer? You hear people say, is God punishing me? Um, is there kind of like a Christian version of karma? Uh, and I want to say, as you think about these passages, you've got to say no, haven't you? God has forgiven you. God has reconciled you in Christ. God could not be happier with you in Christ because of Christ. You are completely forgiven. Your sins have been dealt with. You have eternal life. You are restored to the Father. God is not punishing you. God punished his son on your behalf. Still raises the question, why do we suffer? Well, very briefly, we suffer because we live in the fallen world just like everyone else. Uh, we also suffer because we follow Jesus uh, there's, a, there's a difficulty, a hardship, a persecution that comes as we follow Jesus. But how are we to think about this hardship? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, our last passage for, the, for this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, as you wrestle with why is life so hard as a Christian? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who discipline us and we have respect for them. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Look at verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It's actually an act of God's love that we go through difficulties. He's shaping us more like his son, the Lord Jesus, 
He is training us in righteousness, in trust in him. Because we are one of his sons. We are a son or a daughter in his family. It's actually, Hebrews is saying, it's actually a sign that you are part of the family of God. That God is using this this hardship as discipline. It's not punishment. It's a discipline that shapes you to be more like the Lord Jesus. Well, second pushback, how, how come the Bible talks about you reap what you sow? Uh, isn't that uh, kind of saying the same thing, that you get what you deserve? Isn't that what the Bible's also saying? Um, kind of raises, it's a bigger topic, it kind of raises the question of what's the relationship between you know, cause and, a, and effect? Um, and the Bible is big on the wisdom of this world, isn't it? If you look, look through the book of Proverbs... Um, you'll see lots of wisdom on it. This is the way the world works. If you do this, this will happen. Don't do this because this will happen. And so it's, in, it's encouraging you to live uh, within the framework of God's orderly creation and within the wisdom of the world. But it's also a messy world. It's also a world that's broken and fallen and marred by sin. And so... Uh, it won't be as neat as you do this and this will happen. Uh, I think you know that from life experience. Um, give you one example, Proverbs 10.4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Is that true? Well, most of the time it's true, isn't it? If you are lazy, if you keep having lazy habits and patterns, if you don't go out to work... You won't have anything to eat and you'll be poor. If you're diligent, if you work hard, if you're disciplined, you'll be able to feed yourself and your family and be generous to others. But sometimes it's the reverse, isn't it? Sometimes you see lazy people who prosper. Sometimes you see really hard-working people who've worked all their lives and at their retirement go broke. Sometimes through no fault of their own. And it's the same with morality and justice. Living in a fallen, broken, evil world, sometimes evil people will get away with it, even in this life. That's part of the world in which we live in. They will flirt justice. But here's a way, here's a way that you will always reap what you sow. It's your response to Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, you will have eternal life. You will be part of his family. He will shape you. He will keep you. You will be there on that last day. There is a one-to-one correlation. There's a cause and effect there at that point. And similarly, if you reject Christ, there is estrangement from God. There is, there is not forgiveness. There is separation from God. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 6. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. I take it Sometimes in this life, but definitely in the next. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, because you might be tempted to, is this going to work out? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Have that eternal perspective in mind, that last moment of judgment and eternal life for those in Christ. What are we to do with all this? Well, I reckon um, 
I know we're running out of time, but some quick things for you to think about. I reckon we should come away, as we hear the Bible taught on this topic, if you're a follower of Jesus, incredibly thankful. Incredibly thankful that God does not treat us as we deserve. That God has actually washed our sins away. Uh, that I, I will not pay for the sins, my sins that are real. That I am actually a new creation. That my sins have been removed as far as the east from the west. That I'm right with God. And if, if you're not right with God, can I encourage you to think about that even today? To think about how can I talk, who can I talk to about getting right with God? Trusting in Jesus so that my sins might be forgiven. But secondly, I reckon it would, should keep us incredibly humble. If we don't get what we deserve and every good thing, including eternal life and every good thing before then, is from the goodness and kindness of God, then that keeps me incredibly humble. Um, let me read to you a couple of quotes from Bono, uh, lead singer of U2. Um, he says this, The thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the centre of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put in, what you put out comes back to you. And yet along comes this idea called grace and upends all that as you reap so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. At that point, the interviewer wants to know, what is that What is that stupid stuff? And he says, that's between me and God, but I'm in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep, and I won't say that word. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. That idea, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, Jesus can forgive you and he gets that. Uh, Which is the last thing I want to say. What incredible hope does the Bible give uh, for people who have been, who know that they are guilty? And what incredible hope does it give to people who've been sinned against in incredibly awful ways? It's not the false comfort of karma in this life or even in reincarnated life. It's the comfort of the gospel that your sin can be forgiven, that God can wash it clean. He will not uh, give you what you deserve. But it's also that idea that when the judgment comes, God will deal with every wrong. He will right every wrong. He He will deal with evil once and for all. No one will get away with anything. There is the comfort for those who've been sinned against. What a hope. What a message to take to the world. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again this morning that we are people who have been forgiven, who've been washed clean, had our sins removed, that you have reconciled us to yourself. Father, please again fill us with thankfulness. Help us to again appreciate what you have done in Jesus at the cross. Father, give us humility as we reflect 
on our own guilt and yet remember the kindness of you, our great God, that you have given us so much uh, that you will give us. We will enter into eternal life because of Christ and this is all because of your grace and your kindness to us. And Father, thank you for this message that you've entrusted us to, this message of grace and mercy, of hope for all, for guilty and those who've been sinned against. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd help us as we share this message with Wollongong for your glory. Amen.